This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. In our second segment today, I can say with some delight, we'll be speaking with Pete McCloskey, an American political legend. For decades, he defined what it meant to be a maverick, that is, an unorthodox or independent-minded person, something that's all too rare in our party-driven political system. As an eight-term Republican congressman from the San Mateo area, Pete McCloskey was the co-author of the Endangered Species Act. He himself represented a bit of an endangered species as being a Republican who was openly and avowedly anti-Vietnam War. When he realized how bad things were going in Vietnam and how much we were being lied to about those military operations, he decided to challenge an incumbent president, something that's pretty much unheard of in politics. But he took on Richard Nixon in 1972, and in doing so gave the anti-war effort a shot in the arm. And he's still active right now in politics. We spoke to him six years ago when he challenged Richard Pombo in the Republican primary, Although he did not defeat Pombo, he damaged him enough to where in the general election, Jerry McNerney took over Pombo's seat in Congress, thereby perhaps saving the Endangered Species Act. Believe me, we've got a lot to talk about, and we'll do so in our second segment, and no doubt extend into our third segment as well today. And I'm happy to say we have enough material to continue that discussion into some future shows as well. Mr. McCloskey was very giving of his time. Let us start today's program as we like to do with On This Date in History. And yes, we want to thank Lucy for writing us to uh, ask what happened to this day in history on last week's program. Well, it became a victim of time constraints. And I know for a fact that we had talked about June 5th in previous years because that is the anniversary of the assassination of Robert F. Kennedy. And on 2003, 11 years ago, Mr. Miller and I went down to an event commemorating the 35th anniversary of that sad day. So I think I'll just say that everything we want to say about June 5th can be found in our archives at radioparallax.com. It is actually a day notable for a lot of bad things happening. So let's instead talk about today, June 12th. Let us note that it was on June 12th in 1898 that Filipino rebels led by Emilio Aguinaldo proclaimed the independence of the Philippines after 300 years of Spanish rule. Unfortunately for Aguinaldo and the Filipino independence movement, by mid-August of that year, U.S. troops had ousted the Spanish with the rebels' help, but then dashed their hopes for independence by formally annexing the Philippines as part of its peace treaty with Spain. It was, in fact, not until July 4, 1946, that the U.S. granted full independence to the Republic of the Philippines. And it wasn't Filipino workers, although perhaps it could have been, on July 12th in 1909, but rather Japanese workers who walked off their jobs at Hawaiian sugar plantations. They were then charged with inciting disorder. And here's a very strange one. On June 12th in 1942, Russia and Japan agreed to extend most favored nation status to each other. The Japanese valued their first year of trade at 30 million yen. What I find strange about this is that at this point in time, the Japanese militarists were firm allies with uh, Nazi Germany. 
and Russia had been invaded by the Nazis a year before. I guess that's a classic example of politics creating strange bedfellows. And it was on June 12th, 1964, that Nelson Mandela was sentenced to life imprisonment by the South African government. Fortunately for Mandela, South Africa, and the world, that story eventually had a happy ending. Our quote of the day, and I think this is probably a first, comes from the errata section of a magazine, in this case, New Scientist, which frankly I can't resist after our conversation last week with uh, Michael Bana, a man who spends a great deal of time in the South Pacific Ocean. But noted New Scientist rather sheepishly, we were wide of the mark when locating New Caledonia in our May 10th issue on page 7, the nation lies 1,300 kilometers to the east of Australia, not 3,000 kilometers to the west. So you may want to reprogram your GPS on that one. Our quip of the day, a rather mordant one from Jean-Paul Sartre, who said, when the rich wage war, it's the poor who die. And it's not quite a quote, and it's not quite a quip, I guess, but we're going to use it anyway. This comes from a preview for the movie Shaft, which appeared last Saturday, June 7th, on the IFC channel. The preview is as follows. Who's the cat that won't cop out when there's danger all about? Well, find your answer here. Our joke of the day is as follows. Three students were taking their first psychology class, during which the topic was emotional extremes. Just to establish some parameters, said the professor to a student from New York, what would you consider the opposite of joy to be? Sadness, said the student. To the student from California, the professor asked, what would you consider the opposite of depression to be? Well, elation, said the student. And you, sir, turning to the student from Texas, the professor asked, what would you consider the opposite of woe to be? The Texan thought about it a minute and said, well, sir, I believe that would be giddy up. Right, our stats of the day, and we have a couple of them. First off, from Smithsonian Magazine's Statistical Index, we have 0.4 inches. This represents the average height that people over age 40 lose each decade. And a much happier one, appropriate for our talk today with one of the authors of the Endangered Species Act. The number is 30. This represents the number of species or populations delisted from the Endangered Species Act, thanks to recovery. Our anecdote of the week is a rather fresh one. Apparently a California man with nothing to his name faced a dilemma some time back when he found a bag filled with $125,000 in cash. Joe Cornell, age 52, was watering trees across from his rehab center where he stays for drug addiction when a passing car honked at an armored truck. Nearby, he found the bag. Said Cornell, everything was going through my mind, the good devil, bad devil thing. To set an example for his grandkids, he notified police explaining, I'm here trying to change my life. I've been to jail too many times. The company that lost the money plans to give him a $5,000 reward. All right, and for our good news for today's program, we have um, an item from the world of genetically modified organisms, something we are 
wary of, at least in how they're being massively promoted in food crops, etc. But in some instances, GMOs have to be considered a good thing. Because it turns out that the nearly extinct American chestnut may make a comeback thanks to genetically modified trees. At what time, America was covered with 4 billion chestnut trees. They accounted for approximately a quarter of all hardwoods in the country. And it was said that a squirrel could jump on a tree somewhere in New England and go chestnut tree to chestnut tree all the way down to Alabama. Unfortunately, around 1900, a lethal fungus was inadvertently imported in chestnut trees from Asia. I've also heard it might have been packing crates. And by the 1950s, this fungus had almost completely wiped out the native tree. This is a tragedy I, I saw firsthand. We had a wonderful chestnut tree in my grandfather's house in the Bay Area. It was quite a magnificent specimen, and unfortunately it succumbed to fungal attack sometime in the late 60s. Well, we talked in the past about how there's been considerable effort to crossbreed the American chestnut with a Chinese version, which is quite resistant to the fungus. Unfortunately, the Chinese version is not a very magnificent tree. Now, that research is continuing and, and may bear fruit, but some people took a look at the, uh, the biology of the American chestnut and found a way to insert a wheat gene called OXO, which codes for an enzyme that destroys an acid made by the fungus and prevents lesions from forming on the tree. We certainly think it would be a dream come true of some combination of crossbreeding with the Chinese version and some GMO trees could uh, restore, to some degree, the magnificence of our prior chestnut forests. We have our fingers crossed. Well, let's do a couple miscellaneous items. Apparently, somebody finally went so far that even the NRA had to uh, pause in its advocacy of unrestricted gun use. Uh, and abuse and waving around. And last week, the NRA issued the following statement. <laughs> now, we love AR-15s and AKs as much as anybody. <laughs> Which, I'm, I'm just reading the text, okay? Recently, demonstrators have been showing up in various public places, including coffee shops and fast food restaurants, openly toting a variety of tactical long guns. That's a great phrase, tactical long guns. While unlicensed open carry of long guns is also typically legal in most places, it's a rare sight to see someone sidle up next to you in line for lunch with a 7.62 rifle slung across his chest, much less a whole gaggle of folks descending on the same public venue with similar arms. It's downright weird. I love their last sentence. It makes folks who might normally be perfectly open-minded about firearms feel uncomfortable and question the motives of pro-gun advocates. Well, yeah, there's that. And on that note, we want to thank James Israel of the Humor Times for posting the following. This comes from something called the Freewood Post. Notes, it's been brought to the attention of Freewood Post. There's been a remarkable new discovery that may be a game-changer. There appears to be an undiscovered first half to the Second Amendment. For the longest time, gun enthusiasts, the NRA and right-wingers alike, have been using the second half of the Second Amendment to make their case for freedom to own as many firearms as possible within the span of one lifetime. I was unaware there was a first half to the Second Amendment, said Wayne LaPierre, NRA vice president. I always just assumed that it read, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. I had no idea that it meant to arm the standing state militias at the time. It apparently also says, 
a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, dot, dot, dot. Well, I guess a well-regulated militia is no longer necessary, seeing as we have a U.S. military and National Guard. I'm going to have to rethink everything. They go on to note, this new discovery comes at a time of great debate over the pursuit of seemingly limitless firearm ownership. People have now seen that the first half of the Second Amendment states that if federally regulated militias are necessary, they may be fully armed. And we might do well to quote the former Chief Justice of the United States, Warren Burger, who on the McNeil Lehrer News Hour back in 1991 said, The Second Amendment has been the subject of one of the greatest pieces of fraud, I repeat the word fraud, on the American public by special interest groups that I have ever seen in my lifetime. All right, here's an item that we find somewhat irresistible. It's noted that pink slime is staging a comeback, according to Jacob Bungie and Kelsey Gee, writing in the Wall Street Journal. It was noted that while sales of this highly processed textured beef collapsed in 2012 after a social media frenzy, um, major producers now say that the filler, which is made by heating beef byproducts to extract meat, is having a resurgence. The high price of beef apparently is trumping aversion to the pink slime nickname. Due to prolonged droughts, cattle supplies have hit historic lows in the U.S., pushing the cost of ground beef up 27% to a record 3.80 per pound. Producers estimate that before pink slime's fall from grace, it was added to as much as 70% of the ground beef sold in the United States. I have to say, I, I, I did think that uh, this, this cheap beef was getting a bit of a bad rap. I mean, isn't it a good thing they can more completely extract, uh, you know, an edible product off the carcasses of dead animals and prevent it from going to waste? And while you're pondering that one, let me just ask you this. Do you ever think about what goes into a hot dog? I think pink, pink slime might be a nice word for what you're eating in some of those franks at the ballpark. All right, some weeks back, I mentioned a, a stat of the week, which we did not use, but it was confidence in institutions. Apparently, the Wall Street Journal and NBC News listed the percentage of Americans who had a great deal or quite a bit of confidence in selected institutions. The numbers I thought were curious. The military, 69% of the public has a great deal or quite a bit of confidence in it, which seems remarkably high. The high-tech industry, 53%. The Internet, 39%. The Supreme Court, 32%. As things keep dropping. The auto industry, just 27%. I take heart noting that religious leaders slash organizations only got 24%. The national news media scored 19%. The IRS scored 15%. But scoring even lower than the IRS were the financial industry, health insurers, and large corporations, which were in a three-way tie at just 13% of Americans having a great deal are quite a bit of confidence in them. Health insurers, large corporations, financial industry, sounds about right to us. All right, we also want to note with some consternation that Doonesbury is currently out of the Sacramento Bee in papers across the country. Apparently, Gary Trudeau put the daily production of his long-running comic on indefinite hiatus to focus on his Amazon show, Alpha House. Since then, the Bee's been running Doonesbury Flashback, some of the original um, cartoon strips from 40 years ago. We do want to note that our, our guest in our second segment today, Pete McCloskey, uh, was part of those early Doonesbury strips. When the fictional character Mike Doonesbury's mother 
became a McCloskey delegate. And at the Republican convention, these people were yelling, we want Nixon, we want Nixon. Mike's mom was yelling in the back, I want McCloskey, I want McCloskey. And no, I was not overly impressed by uh, what they're replacing it with. So uh, Gary Trudeau, come on back. All right, let's take a leap into the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, it was a good week last week for reinventing yourself with the news that an Arizona congressional candidate has changed his name to Cesar Chavez after the famed labor leader. This is an effort to appeal to Hispanic voters. Said the Democratic candidate formerly known as Scott Fistler, people want a name they can feel comfortable with. The new Democrat, Fistler, had lost two previous elections as a Republican. He has said that the name Scott Fistler was a hardship. Mr. Millen suggests he tries the name Jesus of Nazareth to see how that one uh, works out. It was conversely a bad week last week for judicial activism after a Florida judge irked by a persistent public defender's legal arguments challenged him to a fist fight. <laughs> Said Judge John Murphy, let's go out back and I'll just beat your ass. Judge Murphy allegedly scuffled a bit with the lawyer before police intervened. And, and no, we don't know what arguments the public defender was offering up that so enraged the judge. But we'd sure like to find out. Anyone listening in Florida to this program that knows more about this story, feel free to drop us a line at info at radioparallax.com. All right, and our final item, and this is when we have to talk about at greater length. Let's just say today... That it was an ugly week last week for privacy with the release of information that the National Security Agency has built a database of millions of photos of people's faces for use in facial recognition programs. That's according to documents leaked by former NSA contractor Edward Snowden and obtained by the New York Times. In 2011, the NSA intercepted a daily average of 55,000 facial recognition quality images from emails, social media, and video chats. These images were then cross-referenced with photos of airline passengers and pictures taken from national identity card programs to help create a visual database of intelligence targets from around the world. Or so they say. We would argue that if they're gathering up your mugshots, you are by definition now an intelligence target. They keep telling us that this megadata is not personal. They can't trace it back to us. Well, okay. Then why do you need the guy's mug? In answer to what Snowden has revealed, an NSA spokeswoman, Vanee Vine, said, We would not be doing our job if we didn't seek ways to continuously improve the precision of signals intelligence activities. All right, let's take a short break. Going out with a couple of political items first. Everybody's shocked, apparently... Eric Cantor, the House Majority Leader, got defeated by a Tea Party candidate in his Virginia primary. I guess this shows the Tea Party ain't dead yet. 
I saw one little blurb, and I saw one little blurb post-election, which made me sad. Just a picture in the Sacramento Bee showing Senator Mark Begich, who's up in Alaska facing a tough re-election battle. It was noted that no other state has seen so many political ads so far in a Senate contest. A lot of outside money is flowing into Alaska. What they're trying to do is to have the Republicans regain control of the Senate, which I find to be a horrifying concept. You elect a guy who's a Republican and now you've got control over the Senate. We know that is kind of how things work. You know, guys like majority leaders and whips uh, tend to line up their party members to vote the way the powers that be think they ought to vote, which is frankly a pretty sad commentary on the whole concept of democracy, wouldn't you say? But anyway, as much as we bag on politicians on this program, there's a few out there that we like. And we're about to talk to one after a short pause. Stay tuned. For former Congressman Pete McCloskey, you're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett.